Hi there, I'm Jake. Hi, I'm Krista. Uh, what do you know about DCOMs, Krista? Nothing. I watched uh, High School Musical and, and oh. Camp Rock. Oh, yeah. That's about it. <laughs> and I watched all of them. <laughs> all of them? Yeah, it was like an event in our house. <laughs> so join us for a DCOM deep dive where we're going to watch and review every single one. Is that, that's a good pipe organ, right? Oh, I thought you were meowing like a cat. No. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it's perfect pipe <laughs> organ. Well, what did we watch? Wait, wait, wait. Phantom of the Megaplex. But yep. here's how it started. Hi, I'm Krista. This is my husband, Jake. He's really tall. That's why I call him Tall Jake. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and I was Do like, one for me. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jake. This is my wife, Krista. Uh, she's funny. That's why we call her Funny Krista. But it had to be like, most of them were, they rhymed or like were an alliteration. Yeah, it's true. Scary Terry, question mark. <laughs> racy yeah, Lacy. Yeah. Racy Lacy. Oh, we'll get in the ring. Oh, Racy Lacy. Ooh. Uh, the premiere date for Phantom of the Megaplex was November 10th, 2000, which was interesting because it was kind of a spooky one. But it was after Halloween. I mean, like right after though, eleven days. But it's over. It's Thanksgiving yeah, it time. Is Thanksgiving Where's the Thanksgiving time? movie I've been craving? There's no Thanksgiving anything. There really isn't. It's so it's just horrible. It's a forgotten holiday, next to Flag Day. <laughs> we don't celebrate. We actually don't recognize in our house. We don't celebrate Flag Day. Us? We don't. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there's this family that like, we don't celebrate Halloween. Well, we don't celebrate Flag Day. It's against our religion. Yeah, or our religious Arbor Day. day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, brother. Well, here's what it's about. Uh huh. Um, Pete is the main character, and he does some narrating throughout. But he works at a megaplex, which is in fact a movie theater, and he is the assistant manager. Um. Basically, they have this big movie premiere that's going to happen at their little small theater. I don't know why. Why is it happening there? Because Mr. Niedermeyer, the owner, has connections. And we find out later the main actress is from that town. Yes. Though they don't say that's why, but surely that's connected. Yeah, definitely. So so they have it there. And as they begin to prepare for it, basically everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong. And there's also his siblings. His mom drops off his siblings and she wants them to watch certain movies. And then he's supposed to take them home on his supper break. But they get into the shenanigans with him. Um, and what there's about the phantom. <laughs> There's like, okay, so they realize that all the shenanigans are because of this phantom that has, there's this legend that this phantom was killed when they like knocked down the old theater and built this new theater on top of it. But it turns out to be the actual manager. Whoa, um, spoiler alert. Uh, Jake, we've already discussed that all of these are completely spoilers. Yeah, but what if somebody, you know, they're just a big Phantom in the Megaplex fan. <laughs> They've never heard of our podcast. This is the one they jump in on? Yeah, but if they're a fan, they would have seen it. Yeah, but what if they were All right, they that's were enough of this. Anyway. <laughs> it turns out to be the manager, and he gets fired, and 
the the moral of the story, which we definitely need to get into, is basically that he needs to stop working so so hard and be a kid. Yeah, because he's seventeen. Yeah. So, I did I miss anything? That's the gist of it. I mean, Mickey Rooney's a big part of the movie. Yeah, movie Mason is Mickey Rooney, which was very wild. Yeah, he was spectacular. He's the star of the show, man. He's, oh, for sure. And he's got like a big role. This isn't uh, like Don Knotts and what was that one? The baby one? Quince. Quince. Where it's like, <laughs> oh, cool, one. like a scene and a half of Don Knotts. No, this is like a lot of Mickey Rooney. Yeah, yeah. He's in it a lot. And they they want you to almost believe that he's the Phantom for a while. But by the end, you're pretty convinced that he's not the Phantom. Well, so. I thought he was as a kid. Yeah, there, there's... Well, he gets thrown out because he just hangs around the movie theater and... His family owned the original theater. But so he when they ha- built the new one, he hangs out around it like he uh, belongs there. But he, he's not paid to be there no, at all. he just loves the movies. So he just hangs out and talks to people, basically. So, All right. What about any memories of this one for you? Um, I remember it coming out. I do remember it coming out in November. I really do. I remember being like, it's weird, a Halloween movie in November, because it's clearly a Halloween-ish movie, like a scary-ish movie, but being like, I guess it's close enough. Well, we should say it is a spoof on the Phantom of the Opera. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, which I've never seen. Well, I have, and you're an uncultured swine. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I assumed I was before. I, I thought you knew that when you married me, but yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember seeing it. I remember watching it either like right around premiere night. And uh-huh. I remember watching it more than once because the Disney Channel, they would play these like 10 times on that weekend. Like there was there was no missing it if you really wanted to see it. Yeah. And the whole time, Kid Me, you know, completely buys this movie Mason thing. Like, oh, no, it's movie Mason. Then we find out it's Sean, the manager. I'm like, what? <laughs> Like I, you know, they totally got me. Your, your mystery. Like, I feel like that as a genre is coming back with like the Knives Out and all of that. Oh man. Those and movies. we love those movies. So good. So I, I feel like this piqued your interest into that mystery movie I genre. Love, I love mystery movies and books. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of like Encyclopedia Brown as a kid and, um. I don't know, some Hardy Boys, like... Oh, I wa- read most of the Nancy Drew books and the Hardy Boy books. And yeah, Mystery Harry of the Spy. was all always interesting, especially that moment when you either figure it out and you feel like a genius because, you know, you're seven. And, <laughs> uh, or you just get to the end and you're like, what? It was Mr. Brown the whole time? I feel like I never figured it out. Like, that to me wasn't the goal. I was just, like, on the ride with the character. I wasn't trying that hard to figure it out but you didn't se. sit around and think about it like between the pages well you, yeah like, like who you, could it be you know, yeah like you know you have to eat lunch you can't read and eat at the same time not that well not in elementary school when you have like five seconds for lunch <laughs> and so like you know at lunch i'm like was it who was it you know i'm thinking about it the whole lunch right right <laughs> well some fashion uh, this one was maybe a little less than normal because they all were wearing their movie theater uniforms, um, like all of the main Pete and his friends, I guess. But he wore a white shirt with an over, like unbuttoned shirt over it. Uh, there was a lot of horizontal stripes happening in the girls' outfits. 
Um, I did notice, this is about the set, but I noticed their kitchen had bright blue, uh, more like navy um, cabinets, which I didn't know that was a thing back then, but it is coming back. If you watch any design shows, as I do, uh. there's a lot of this, like, for a while it was, like, all white, and now there's gonna there's starting to be this, like, let's do mostly white, but do green cabinets or blue cabinets. So as soon as I saw those cabinets, I thought how modern they looked, which was kind of surprising to me because they're from 2000. So, huh. yeah. Lots of barrettes. Uh, they're, the girl that Pete lights has a single braid to the side. Um, there was this horizontal single stripe that was just tie-dye, white shoes, which are back in style, fun fact, or maybe they're already out. I don't know. There was a yellow power suit worn by the- The agent? The agent. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, One of the girls had one chunk of colored hair. That was really popular. Scary Terry. She did. Scary Terry. And uh, there was one of the girls, Racy Lacey. She had a zigzag hair part, which I did all the time. Zigzag hair part. So you know how normally your hair is parted in a single like straight line? Oh, yeah. Well, we would like, I would take my little comb and I would zig, 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 zig. I only know that from the commercials about that. Well, it was a incredibly popular, and I myself loved it. I should bring it back. Go for Why it. Why haven't I? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, let's get into the movie. Do you think Pete's from SoCal? I don't know. They all seem like they're from SoCal yeah, a little. Like, you know, as you watch these, I remember watching these as a kid and just feeling like, these aren't people I know. Like, they don't sound like the people I know. They don't talk like the people I know. The climate around them doesn't seem like the climate yeah. I know. <laughs> and as an adult, I'm like, dude, they're just, like, banking off of California because that's where all this is being shot. Like, Yeah, sometimes I feel like these people that live in California need to get out a little bit more. <laughs> I know. I know. And he just sounds like this the whole movie. Like, hey, my name's Pete, and this is my friend Scary Terry. <laughs> He was really cute. He was a good actor. I liked oh, him. He was great. But you're right. Yeah. He was fantastic. So right away, so he narrates like we talked about all of the people, every single character. It was probably ten to twelve characters that he freeze it freeze framed on the character, and he would like say their name and then say one thing about them and then give them a nickname. It was so many characters. Was it really necessary to like? It was impossible to remember. And the two, I the, like the ma- the characters who actually were important. Um, the two siblings, they like never say their names in these That's three true. frames. So, like we were wondering what are their names until like maybe three quarters through the movie. <laughs> yeah. We were like, it's Brian and I don't even remember the girl's name. Karen. Brian and Karen. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's often the case in these movies. They don't say their names all that much. Do you think it just hit me? They were low key implying like, here's some options for the Phantom. Uh, wink, wink. I don't know. But it's like at no point did you did I ever <laughs> think it was any of those characters as a kid except Scary Terry because she's always telling scary stories. Oh, I didn't think it was her, but I'm not a kid. As a kid, yeah. <laughs> And I remember her annoying the crap out of me because... Oh, she's annoying. She has... Okay, all these characters are just... They stick to their one character trait and nothing else. And even like... Absolutely. What, nine-year-old me was through with that. I was like, (laughs) 
No one is this much one thing. <laughs> I kind of enjoyed it because it felt like it was a caricature. Like this yeah. is a caricature of this type of person who's always afraid and always because there are people like that. They always have some horrifying story about something that happened lately or like, yeah, or there was there was one character that always did everything by the books. And, you know, I've worked with people like that. They're oh, like sure. so exact. I'm like, just like easily just a little like it's not black and white just like we could let this slide you know what i'm saying (laughs) they definitely captured the workplace they did that's true like in that sense oh absolutely like if i think about co-workers they kind of hit every co-worker stereotype (laughs) racy lacy's always trying to do things too fast question mark like doesn't understand what anyone's saying and always has a thousand questions Uh, that the one compliance guy who was always like, this isn't OSHA regulated or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, was- you're right. So as far as a the workplace, they, they really hit it. And I think, you know, I know my coworkers somewhat, but I feel like sometimes coworkers can be like a stereotype in your mind because you just don't get to know them all that well. Yeah. Like you can't get to know every coworker super, super well. Of course, you're going to have your friends, but... I'm just saying, like, there's some people in my school, I'm like, oh, they're like this, and I don't really know them, you know? Most of my coworkers would have been in my aquatics days, so the most of them would have been teenagers. Yeah. Uh, and at no point when I was in aquatics was I a teenager. I was an adult the entire time. Yeah. And so, like, seeing all these stereotypes is like, oh, man. <laughs> well, okay, we've said it a bunch of times, but racy lacy. Like, he said... Here's Lacey, aka Racy Lacey. I was, I was immediately like, "Oh my gosh, she's calling her Racy!" And then he's like, "Because she likes to race everywhere." And I'm like, "Uh, that's not what that means." <laughs> eh, I don't know. Kid me never knew any different. But even back then, that's what it means. Oh, for it's sure. Like, wasn't? It's not like a slang term. Yeah, anyway. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know. I, I mean. <laughs> Maybe I knew it, but I didn't think about it at all. I know. I probably wouldn't have as a kid, but I still think they should have figured something else out for her. Plot-wise, um, we find out the the mayor, not the mayor, the boss, Sean, is up for a promotion, but he gets passed on for the owner's son-in-law. So he's ticked about it. And he, yeah. he like, it's kind of implied he's like in love with the owner, Mr. Niedermeyer. He's like quoting him at, at the meetings, he's like, well, Mr. Niedermeyer always says, and it's like some cheesy phrase. Yeah. Like, better better clean the floors than clean the doors. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> That'd be like me, like, quoting my superintendent, like, yeah. well, Superintendent Chalmers always says. <laughs> <laughs> I, I quote Superintendent Chalmers all the time. Well, everybody should quote Superintendent Chalmers, but... <laughs> I thought something that was very weird was in this movie, right away, he talks about his mom thinks that he works too hard. Yep. And I thought that was so strange because most of these or a lot of movies in general, it's like, oh, this high schooler, they won't do anything. They won't try. They won't work. They won't get a job. And this one's like, well, he has a good job. He's working at it. It sounds like he's still getting his schoolwork done. He's like doing fine in life. And his mom's like, he works too hard. 
I thought that was so strange. I guess so. I did know teenagers who worked too hard, though. Did you not in like high school? You didn't know teenagers who like left school and then went to work 40 hours and like you knew they didn't need to. Right. They're not struggling at home. They just wanted money. Yeah. But is that like the norm? I don't think it's the norm. No, but I knew a couple who did. Yeah. I mean, I knew more than a couple. I mean, a lot of my friends would work at their family farms and they would work mostly in the summer. And in the uh, summer, it was like a full time job. Sure. And I, I, I'm sure they worked in the school year as well. It's just they did other stuff, too. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess what I think is weird is that they made it feel like it's bad to work hard, which I would say, you're right, there can be overwork, but I don't usually think about it being bad to work hard. I mean, it's implied he's there like all the time. So yeah, that's sort of my drift is like he's overdoing it, which is accurate no matter what age. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, and he likes this girl. Does it ever say her name? I think it does, but I don't know what it is. We learn too many names too fast. (laughs) It's so many characters. See, there's this girl, and I got her tickets to the premiere, and we're going to meet Madison Ashley Metz, the hottest movie star at the premiere. And I just, I lost it pretty hard at Madison Ashley Metz, because Ashley Madison is a website where... You go there to cheat on your spouse. Their tagline is like, it's okay to have an affair. Yeah, I did not know that until you like had a big reaction about her name. And I was like, what are the odds that it's the exact same two names? Yeah, that name came later, obviously. And the only reason I know it exists is because there was that leaking scandal Mm -hmm. six years ago where everybody who was on there, the info got outed and a lot of... uh, Famous people got outed. Yeah, like uh, Racy Lacey. Yeah, she was actually <laughs> Madison. Oh, and uh, mom is mom is uh, single, but she's really into this guy George. Yeah, they date in hard. And the kids are like, "When are you getting married?" Huh? Yeah. Oh, kids! I don't know. Well, as soon as I saw the mom, I did not know if she was the mom or another sibling because she looked so young. I think she just had a young look to her. I think she did. I think she's just one of those people. Yeah, because I, as I saw her interact more with people, I was like, okay, she's older than she looks, but she really had a young looking face. I was like, is she like the same age as Pete? (laughs) Yeah. Didn't you love um, just the whole argument? With the daughter and the mom about trying to see a PG-13 movie. (laughs) Yeah. I just want to see a PG-13 movie. We see worse things on the 6 o'clock news. There was a lot of, like, quipping with the mom and her kids. Like, the mom was pretty funny, I thought. She, like, called her son a woolly mammoth because he was eating. Like, or maybe, like, Nathanderthal or Neanderthal. I don't know how to say that. Neanderthal. Thanks. Close enough. (laughs) Close enough. Close enough. (laughs) I remember I was at one of my best friend's houses and watching his younger sister, who's Nate's, my younger brother's age, get in an argument with her dad about going to see the movie, I want to say Honey. Yeah. Which was PG-13. And her dad said no. And like they went at it for a long time. And he and it like it was like protracted. It wasn't all at once. 
It was like, here's a little bit. All right. Then she tried again. I just remember sitting there cringing in the corner like, stop. Your dad is not going to give in. Stop. Oh, man. I would have argued with my parents. I know you weren't really allowed to, but I mega argued with my parents a no, lot. I did. <laughs> Sorry it, about that. I got in more trouble. So, yeah. Yeah. And so did she, by the way. Good. Good for her. Watching PG-13 movies, I I still remember my very first PG-13 movie. What Do was you? It? No. Mine was Twist. No, not Twister. Sorry. Um, Volcano. What is that? I know exactly. It was this disaster movie where a volcano goes off and like there's all these heroes that are working in the city to get people out of the city because it's the volcano magma is just slowly going in. And I remember like it really wasn't that bad, but there was one scene where like half of this guy's face is burned off and they like they like show half of his face that's fine and then like he kind of dramatically rolls his face towards the camera. Ah. And yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then I was like, I'm okay. I'm okay. This is fine. PG-13. PG-13. It's PG-13. I can handle this. How old were you? <laughs> I'm probably around 13. I'm not sure. Maybe a little older. I can't say for a couple of reasons. I bet if I thought hard enough, I could remember like what was the first PG-13 movie I saw in a theater. But, oh, I didn't see that in the theater. That was at a slumber party. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> no, it would have. See, the thing is, PG-13 didn't exist for a long time. And so, like, there's a lot of 80s movies. Right. That definitely should be PG-13. <laughs> definitely. But are PG. Right. Like, big, when he drops the F-bomb. The little kid drops the F-bomb. You can say it a certain number of times. Yeah, but you know that's not in a PG <laughs> movie. It's still rated PG because, you know, they haven't gone and, like, back-rated them. Yeah. Uh, I think Back to the Future, similarly. So, it just, it would be hard to say. Yeah, definitely. I I but, think the other one I watched was Star Wars Episode Three. That one's PG-13. Is it? Yeah. I wanted yeah. two, not 13? I don't think so. Huh. I'm not sure, though. <laughs> no, I saw quite a few PG-13 movies in the theater. I mean, they were all approved by my parents and stuff. I wasn't like, I go see whatever I wanted. No, me either. Definitely not. Did you like the two bullies? Oh, Again. We loved the bullies. More characters. It was preposterous how many characters there were in this the show. The bullies? Why is it bullies are always hanging out with the girl, and the girls are like, yeah, okay. Like, I'm okay with the bully. Also, I'm interested in the nice guy. Like, it yeah. could go either way. She was like, like nothing. That girlfriend, there were there were good female characters. I'm not bashing this movie for it, but she was like negative nothing of a character. And she showed up in so many scenes just standing there. She almost had no lines. Yeah, we, we would always be like, why is the girlfriend here? <laughs> We've started to get chattier and chattier during these movies. <laughs> it used to be like we were pure and like didn't talk about it until, but now we it's like we can't help it. <laughs> still, when you just see a character who's in every scene and like clearly in every scene. Yeah, yeah, very visible in them, but not talking, not really doing anything. I don't even know why he's interested in her because he's so like, go get her, go get him and like ambitious and he works hard and she just feels like absolutely nothing. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. But the girlfriend. uh, So like when the bullies show up, which I don't even remember why they show up, but I think it's because to bother they, him. <laughs> yeah. they And so they start picking on Pete and he's like working the counter. Right. 
And I don't even remember what they did to like get on him. Do you? Uh, this was yesterday. I cannot they, remember. They like say that they're gonna go get his girlfriend. Basically, they're they're like, "What are you like? What are we gonna do while you're out working and oh. stuff? Like, we're gonna s- basically go sit by this girl you like and her friend." Yeah, and then he says, "Why does that dog make it so easy for me to rattle his cage?" And the two bullies high five. <laughs> it's like the strangest interaction. He's like so happy about annoying this guy. Like, yeah, we annoyed that guy at the counter. All right. And it's almost like funny annoying. Like they're just like teasing him. It doesn't even seem that mean hearted at that point. No, it's just stupid. Also, the cinema sitters. Well, I'm not done talking about this yet. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because while we're talking about the girlfriend, I wanted to bring up the girlfriend's friend, which was even more of a nothing character that made no sense. I think the only dialogue they had was talking about the male movie star they were interested in. Yeah, but I'd also, uh, it really triggered me because... (laughs) It failed the Bechdel test right there? No, that is not why. Because... (laughs) uh, I had a really pretty friend and all the boys were really into my very pretty friend and I was just the friend and I was just hanging out and he's totally into her and the friend is just there. And that's how I felt. I was just there, the less pretty friend that hung out with the girl while she was being hit on by all these boys. Hey, we all go I'm through bitter. it. bitter. We all go through it, man. So I felt for that friend is all I'm saying. We all have an attractive friend who gets asked out a lot more than we do. Um, Unless you are the attractive friend. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? Not everybody's a 10, okay? <laughs> I mean, even the people, people at our aren't. schools are probably like an eight and a half at best. <laughs> right? Nah, she was a 10. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I... Uh, I'm just throwing numbers around. Beauty is really sub- very subjective. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, girls used to always ask me about Luke, my older brother, all the time. Yeah. He's cute. Why? Like, why are you telling me this? Yeah, that's weird to tell a brother. I almost wanted to be like, cute. what do you... what? What do you want from this interaction? Me to go, like, yeah, my brother's attractive. That's exactly what you should have said. That would have been very funny. Yeah, I was also like just too frustrated by, and Luke, my older brother, hated it even more. So <laughs> I never sure. told him about it because I think the one time I did, he got so mad. <laughs> and he's like incredibly fiercely loyal. And if anybody ever wronged me, he remembers it longer than I do. <laughs> so. I I became very protective about bringing up anytime someone wronged me because I was like, he's never going to forget. Yeah. And some of this is just forgettable. A girl telling me my brother's attractive, that's forgettable, guys. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't think that ever happened to one of us where like a guy would come up and be like, your sister's hot. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe that's more of a girl thing to be like, oh, I think this guy's hot. So I'm going to kind of sidle into this like... You know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, to take the indirect approach. The indirect approach of like, oh, I like him, but I'm not going to directly tell him. So anyway. Yeah, so there's like so many people at this movie theater just like for regular operations and they're going to close down early for the premiere. But it's they're cutting it really close. I know. They're cutting it so close. Like, wouldn't you close a lot sooner than that? Also, why would you open? Just get ready for the premiere. Yeah. 
It just Absolutely. seemed like a terrible choice. I was confused by it then, and I'm confused by it now. Yep. Yep. It is a terrible choice. I loved, though, these cinema sitters thing that they kept bringing up before they got to the movie. That yeah. way, I'm pretty sure they wrote this plot point in so that the kids weren't watching a movie by themselves unattended. And that, like, parents, this just seems like something the network would force them to write in so that they'd be like, oh, look, there's an adult at the movie watching them. And she's paid by the movie theater. She's called a cinema sitter. And it's a grandma. I don't I don't think that's what was happening. I think it was a plot point so that the kids uh, would have this extra pressure when they were like getting out of their seats and stuff because she was like catching them. Yeah. And she was like, go back to your seat. She was also really nice. I, are cinema sitters real? I Googled it. There is no such thing. It immediately pulled really? up this movie. If you Google cinema sitters, this movie comes up. So it's only in this movie? Yeah, they. I, I think they made it up. You guys, are, the listeners are going to have to tell us if they knew of such a thing. <laughs> it's a good name, though. Cinema Sitters. Yeah. Anyway, so there's they're tearing movie tickets, right? And um, there is just too many people. They can't get them all in. So Movie Mason steps in to help tear tickets. But he causes a ruckus when these two guys are going to go see a movie that Movie Mason says is a stinker. <laughs> and then he gets kicked out uh, and kicked off the premises and he does this traumatic thing like down the escalator where he's like farewell always love the magic of the movies <laughs> yeah basically so did we already say he was Mickey Rooney yeah so he every scene that he's in he just really steals it but he's also very like sentimental over movies he's kind of the character that just loves them so much that he just yeah he can't he doesn't want people to waste their time on bad movies and he's very like passionate about it so I don't know what he would feel about us watching this movie would this be a stinker would he want us to watch this yeah, one I don't know that movie Mason would want us to watch this movie I don't think he would this isn't he would like the character though so throughout, different things go wrong at different movies. And all of the things that go wrong have something to do with the movie that's playing. So, for instance, um, I really loved this. They were watching like a Twister type movie. And there's one single fan is causing the place to just go absolutely. Oh, her name's Caitlin. The girlfriend's Caitlin. I wrote Caitlin. it here. Yeah. So... It's like blowing like crazy. A toupee falls on Caitlin. And one thing I really loved is like popcorn is going everywhere. And some people are just like catching it in their mouths. <laughs> I didn't see that. Yes, it was so funny. I just loved how like, yeah, this one fan, which what would you call this fan? Like a regular, pretty regular industrial fan. Yeah. Not one of the. Maybe like five foot wide. Yeah. I mean, it's big. But like every character who walks in front of it is like getting knocked over. It's like a vortex where like, yeah. So like, and of course, it feels like the only person that can solve any of the problems is Pete. And like, I'll be honest, this movie did start to stress me out a little bit. Well, Sean is missing. Yeah. As things go wrong, Sean goes missing. Sean keeps getting attacked, tied up and duct taped over his mouth. Yeah, multiple times. Yes. And they don't call the police. <laughs> I got tied up. Oh, no, we got to figure out who it is. 
Who's not going to call 911? Yeah, like duct tape over his mouth? That's messed up. I did love, like, the problem started really minor. Like, first the candy machine goes everywhere, and, like, there's gumballs everywhere, and people are tripping over these gumballs like they're oil-slicking banana peels in Mario Kart. (laughs) They're just, like, losing their minds tripping. And I remember watching that as a kid, and now I'm like, dude, no one would trip like that. (laughs) No one... It's pretty entertaining for the movie, though. Oh, I really love that scene. And then Pete fixes that problem by grabbing a a hockey hockey stick stick and like whacking the gumballs into the trash can, and everyone's just cheering for him, like Like, yeah. And it's this whole like long thing, and it's like this is not. No one would do that. Like yeah, you did it. You knocked over the gumballs into the trash can i i want to make a conscious effort in my life to just like really cheer for mundane things that's fair so i think that this will be one of them if i see a big spill and like someone cleans it up i'm just gonna cheer really loudly like thank you person (laughs) did you pay attention to the movie that brian was seeing farmer (laughs) brown goes to town yeah, a little. I loved Farmer Brown Goes to Town. I really love it when there's a fake movie in a movie. Yeah, and it's like every time. So as the plot progresses, they're going in and out of the movie Farmer Brown, and Karen's trying to see a movie called University Death she's not supposed to be seeing. Yeah, and she's leaving her younger brother alone. Right, until the whole phantom thing happens, and they finally just give up on seeing the movies at all. <laughs> and the... Everything that's happening in Farmer Brown is exactly the plot of Phantom of the Megaplex at that point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They'd be like, we don't know what's wrong with this. Stay in the car. Don't leave. And the the Karen is telling Brian, stay in the movie theater. Don't leave. Yeah, it was very funny. It was very funny. Oh, I didn't mention this movie was in widescreen. Phantom of the Megaplex. Why is that significant? Because it was zoomed in. It was just, I'm waiting for our first real widescreen decom. Oh, and, I see. Uh, we don't have one yet, but what was really interesting is the movies they were watching in the theater were widescreen. Oh, So this true. would have been a movie in 4.3 showing movies in 16.9, so it's almost more <laughs> meta. Dang, man, so meta. Like, wow. And I feel like if it zoomed in, this was shown more on the Disney Channel, but it wasn't. This Hmm. is like a five on the scale out of 10. Huh. It's not that much. So one of the things that I liked when they were, she, she's in middle school. Karen, uh, his sister is in middle school and she goes to this PG-13 movie with, I think she has like two friends there with her. Yeah. And they start daring each other to stand up and yell in the theater and that rang so true. I know. It was painful. It was so cringy and so painful. And I was like, how how did you, adult writer, do this so well and nail a 13-year-old stupid dare like that? Like, how many times did someone dare me like to do something stupid at a birthday party? And it was just like very tame, slightly embarrassing, something like that. It was spot on. It was spot it on. It was spot on. We both looked at each other and we're like, oh, man. And it was like a very random scene, too. It really didn't move the plot forward My at all. My name's Karen Riley and I love Phil Dolphin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. And then glimpses of Genevieve starts messing up and the movie's like going in and out of focus. Just really funny. I 
love the movie within a movie and how, yeah, it's so obvious how they mess up. Well, I was trying to remember if that has something to do with Phantom of the Opera because I was trying to remember if the things that go wrong in the opera that's playing are the things, but I don't know that that's true. Well, they said the first movie that played in the original movie theater was the original Phantom of the Opera from like 1925. Oh, right. The non-musical one. Yeah. And they kept showing clips of it. Those are real clips from it. Well, and it's implied that Movie Mason was in it. It was? Well, I thought it was. When he's under the... Because it like sh- zoomed in on like the black and white screen and then it kind of showed his face like they looked alike. I didn't even think about that. That's probably... Yeah, you're right. That was an implication. Yeah, yeah. So it keeps implying Movie Mason's the Phantom and the kids end up going like under the theater because they know that's where he used to take his lunch breaks and he's just there hanging out with movie props and he Which... gives this prolonged speech like kids i would never commit such a sin as to ruin the magic of the movies you lose the magic in life as you get older (laughs) but the movies is the one place where there's still magic in the world (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) well that was very phantom of the opera oh is it so in the phantom of the opera um do, do, do you know anything about what it's about I know the girl from Genius is in it. Yeah, she is. Hey, DCOM Connection. Yep. Anyway, um, basically, there's this singer who is just beginning to get started, and the this mysterious phantom takes her under his wing and teaches her, like vocally, how to sing better so she gets major roles. Oh. But it turns out he's obsessed with her and basically is a stalker of her. Oh. And oh. yeah. And so he, one day she he's like, basically come with me. And she's kind of entranced by him basically. And so she goes with him on this boat ride down below underneath all these like curvy, twisty places to his like little lair where basically he's built like a creepy shrine to her. This is from the musical version anyway. I have not read the book. So it was it was calling back to that. So they go down into the basement oh. and there's this this basically it's not creepy in this movie. No, it's like a collection of old movie posters and props. But it's still a hidden door in a like faraway place yeah. where like he has this little I would call it kind of like a layer, but it's just like a, a happy place, like full of movie props and fun stuff. So <laughs> they had a movie poster of the 1925 Phantom of the Opera down there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it was a reprint, but still it was like, oh, nice. I guess that would have been public domain, right? Because public yeah, domain was originally, what, 50 years? I don't know that. It's, it's like 80 now. It was changed to like 80 in 1990. So anything that came out in the 20s. You know, the 50-year window would have ended in, like, the 70s. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm close here. I'm ballpark. Well, yeah, because the book came out a long time before the even the, the first the movie. Mu- movie or the musical or anything. So another callback from The Phantom of the Opera is one of the most famous scenes is the Phantom is generally killing people in The Phantom of the Opera. Oh. And... Yeah, he, he like hangs someone on stage. He does a bunch of stuff. But one of the things he does is he drops a chandelier onto a full audience. Oh. And so later, um, one of the things that goes wrong is they 
inflate a giant like house-sized balloon dragon into a full audience. And that to me was a callback to the Phantom of the Opera dropping the the chandelier. Chandelier, I couldn't I, think of the word. I can see it. Yeah, it wasn't exact, but I was like looking for different phantom like touches within it. So what did you notice the whole sword of the asteroid thing? Yeah. <laughs> or it's like there's this thing that was introduced earlier. Like if you pull this sword from the asteroid, you get fifty movie tickets or something. They're all trying to pull it. Can they this was something that used to bother me a lot and now we've kind of gone the other way is it was like can Disney or not reference their own stuff? Like they couldn't reference Sword of the Sword in the Stone? I thought they were like intentionally making it different because some new movie had come out like come out maybe because it was a dinosaur movie so asteroid but a sword uh just like as a fun thing i don't know man (laughs) i guess i just always felt like disney and other companies were afraid to reference their own stuff back in the day and now it's like Oh, not only are we going to reference our own stuff, we're going to bring in 12 actors from the original 1976 Sword in the Stone to replay their characters. <laughs> and so I, I like this side of it better, but it's, um, we've man, what an extreme. Yeah, yeah. So he, he gets this sword out and he the like- The bully does. Well, but later the he does. Pete gets it out oh, yeah. and he uses it to stab a hole into the- the monster and saves the day and stuff. And they catch Sean because he fights with him behind a screen. Oh, that was great. That was a little great. shadow fight. Yes. I loved it. Yeah. And all the people are like, Oh, and oh. nobody goes to help him. No, why did not staring. a single person go to help him? Well, uh, this has not uh, been the best premiere. Not, not only that, but when people were walking in initially, water balloons got dropped on all of them yeah. instead of air balloons. So things have already been going wrong. Definitely. Well, and we didn't even mention that Pete and his siblings go up on the roof to because they've heard that this dragon is not on the roof where it should be. And the phantom comes behind him, puts a cloth over all three of their heads and ties them together, which they could suffocate and die. Yeah. And you know what? That's definitely a felony. Yes. So... Sean just like gets a pass at the end. They're like, oh, that was funny, Sean. You're fired. Uh, you should be arrested for that yeah, one. Yeah, that one. Uh, the rest weren't really arrestable. Probably like some kind of civil case. Yeah. But this was arrestable. Yeah. Tying up children. That's horrible. Three you minors. can't do that. Uh, you know, and it, but it was movie. funny because they all shuffled together to get untied. So I did love that comedic element. Oh, that yeah. Was and fun. don't forget the, the subplot with the mom. Has been oh, going yes, on. Yes, yes. There's so many things in this movie it's and so much. many characters. It's too much. It's insane. This is pretty early on, maybe like 45 minutes in. Mom and George are on a date and like they go to this restaurant and it's closed and then they see this potted flower and they start discussing, well, what if one potted flower got another potted flower? And they're like, oh, well, what if we got married? I don't know if we're ready. Blah, 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 blah. And I looked at Krista and I was like, why is this happening? It literally, it just had so little to do with the actual plot of the movie. It had nothing to do with the plot. Yeah, so by the end, he proposes to her and is like, well, maybe our two pots of plants can be together now. And we're like, 
what? This was so needless. It was only set up for one thing is because after Pete saves the day, I forget who asked it, like, where's our four-star Hollywood ending? And he goes, here's one. And he proposes. You know, we could have just had that. <laughs> we could have just cut the whole thing about mom and George and just had I mean, that. It did make her have a reason to not be able to pick up the kids earlier. That's true. So for that, because their car stalls. But again, it it was completely pointless. I mean, that could have been a phone conversation like, hey, our car stalled out. Bam. Well, on. but, you know, no cell phones. That was the whole thing. There's yeah, a lot, so of, a lot they, of pay phones in this. They use the pay phone to call the mom's beeper. And she's like, I don't know the number. And then the boyfriend has a cell phone. Yeah. And then they do the callback and it rings to the pay phone, which I honestly, for the longest time, did not know you could call a pay phone. Yeah. It's still crazy to me to think you could call a payphone. My first cell phone has multiple payphones saved in there. Nuh-uh. Yeah, I would like collect them if I could <laughs> so that I could call them at random hours and see who would answer. I mean, I was like so on the cusp of pay. I mean, we both were, but of payphones being obsolete because I remember stopping at gas stations occasionally on road trips and using one. Oh, yeah. But I, there is a point in my memory where it's just they they were gone or like it was so hard to find one and we'd be looking and looking and then they're just gone now. Like I want to say my parents both had cell phones by about 2003. I have no idea. And my mom has had the same cell phone number ever since. That's amazing. And I've had it memorized and I have my dad's number memorized too. But I remember, like, you watch a lot of these little movies, and they're like, don't forget to bring a few quarters just in case something goes wrong. Yeah. You can hit up the payphone. Did you notice at the end, so they keep talking about the owner, and I was kind of thinking Mr. that- Mr. Niedermeyer. The owner was kind of a jerk. Oh, like, yeah. He, he's being super demanding. He- Doesn't know Sean's promotes, name. He promotes someone who isn't involved over the guy that works, and he works hard. Like, Sean works really hard. And then all of a sudden at the end, he like turns on a dime and suddenly he's really fun and he gives Pete money to take his girlfriend out for breakfast. And and I was just like, what? Where did this come from? Yeah, it was random. I don't know, man. This whole movie is it's just too much. Yeah, it's just too much. I mean, I followed it as a kid. I didn't have a hard time following all the. The quality is kind of there. It just overloads it. Like a few yeah. cuts would have made this such a smooth movie. Yeah, it was it was really entertaining. Like nowhere in this was I bored. No, not at which all. Which is somewhat normal. <laughs> it reminds me, we've talked about this before, but not on the podcast. The very first cut of the very first Star Wars. There's a great YouTube video about it. And it's so bad. The movie is like so boring at so many parts. And like, I don't know. It's like you didn't even know that it could have been that bad. But, you know, Marsha Lucas saved it in the editing room. This movie could have been similar. There's some great stuff beneath it. It's not Star Wars great. It's DCOM great. Yeah, there was just, there was too many characters. There were too many plots. There were... Too many stupid tangents that really had nothing. There were just characters that didn't even have any relevance or lines. No. <laughs> so, but, oh, the the last thing about the movie that I wanted to say is that sure. at the very end, this 
girlfriend, well, not girlfriend, this girl he likes, by the end, she has completely ditched her friend. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, the friends were kind of around at one point in the hallway. She was at the premiere party. She was, I think, in the movie. Yeah. And then suddenly she's completely gone. I don't know, man. I don't know. I was just, I just really identified with that uh, lineless friend. (laughs) Wow, that's me. I really wanted to see her shine. (laughs) I think she had one line. I wanted her to, like, like fall in love with the quirky other guy, you know, like one of the workers and just find her love that way. Yeah. Yeah. This is Phantom of the Megaplex (laughs) and this is a decom. This ain't happening. Um, Sorry. Anything else about the movie? Oh, you know, I think it ends with um, Mr. Niedermeyer asks uh, Pete. He's like, hey, want to be senior manager? And Pete's learned his lesson. He's like, no, I got to work less. Yeah, which on a normal job scale, I totally agree with. I just thought normally these movies are like, ugh, they never do anything. So, I mean, this one didn't either, but. Well, and I also thought this one was interesting because it was definitely a high schooler. Sometimes these ones are more about the middle schoolers. But That's the true. sister was a middle schooler. Yeah, and the kid was like, probably in third grade. Yeah. So, so it, it was all covered three. everything. And it's funny. I remember thinking that the girl and the boy were the main characters as a kid. And now it's, I was like, no, it's all three. It's all three siblings. Well, it's definitely Pete, but they're pretty close. Like, they really are in it a lot more than I expected at the beginning. Phantom of the Buckaplex takes again! (laughs) That kid said that like four times. Yeah. He kept blaming different people, too, throughout the movie. The part where he blamed Merle, the projectionist. He's like, Merle, I think it's you. He's like, stop being rude to Merle is what Pete says. Yes. And then it's like instantly proven it's not Merle, and he just comes up with the lame excuse. like, well... I kind of thought it was. I don't know. Bye. <laughs> it was cute. It was cute. Cute kid. Cute it actor. Was, it was very like, that felt really real too. Because yeah. as you know, Jake, I just got mm. my hair cut. Yes. And, and you work with children this And age, I work with children. And it did feel like one of those things where like, I don't think you're trying to be real. I had so many kids ask me if I was wearing a wig. Like so many. Just because you had bangs. Because I got bangs. And and one day I even looked at one kid and I was like, do you think that's very nice to ask someone if they're wearing a wig? And he just looked at me and was like, well, I don't know. And I was like, no, it's not nice. It's not a wig. (laughs) So that's what it felt like to me. Like, you're this bad character. Oh, well, okay. Never mind. Oh, that's pretty much the end of it. Well, as far as what I'm tracking, this is a single mom with a deceased father. They talk about missing him. Yes, no divorce. He passed. No divorce. He died, but he's definitely not a part of it. They're not sad anymore. (laughs) No, they've kind of moved on. Yeah, so it wasn't about that, which was nice. (laughs) And uh, it's implied there could be a sequel at the end movie mason's like i never believed in the phantom but the werewolf of the megaplex and you hear the howling oh i didn't think that was a sequel i just thought it was like he was trying to mess with the kid no it's the sequel no werewolf of the megaplex <laughs> i've been waiting 23 years oh for this oh my goodness all right where are they now pete riley was played by taylor handley who has 47 credits 
He's known for Mayor of Kingstown, uh, which is his most recent show from 2021 to 23. Chasing Mavericks, Vegas, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning. He's also in Bird Box, fun fact. Oh. Uh, Phantom was his fourth movie. Jack Frost was his first movie oh. in 1998. Jack Frost, how about yeah. that? Um, recently, he has started acting coaching on his website, OneTakeTaylor.com. You can get a 30-minute acting session, uh, mostly for auditions and other things, uh, for $180. And for a 60-minute uh, workshop, you can pay $250. Only if he'll talk about Phantom of the Megaplex the you entire You think we hour. could get him on for an hour? No. Yeah, let's just pay two hundred eighty dollars. Let's start a Patreon and yeah, you see guys. Psych, psych. <laughs> He's on our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, Julie Riley. She was played by Corinne Boer. Corinne. Um, Corinne, <laughs> uh, which is she has sixty nine credits. Um, she's most known for Police Academy Four. The Flash, I love this. The Flash from 1991. Oh, the and TV show. she was also the same character in The Flash in 19, or 2018. They did so, that with a couple of characters. Yeah, yeah. super cool. She reappeared. Mark um, Hamill's character, same thing. She was in Veronica Mars. Uh, a quick fun fact. She worked as a carnival barker, which I did not know that was the term for that. What's a barker? The people that like are at the booths and are barking like, at you. Guess bark- your weight. Yeah, like, oh. hey, step right up, step right up. They're carnival barkers. A barker. At Six Flags Over Texas in Ski Ball Palace. She's- Whoa, I've been there. <laughs> She's been in a lot of commercials, including McDonald's, Walgreens, Totino's, uh, Campbell's, and Bounty, and Apple. There you go. Lots of commercials. Wow. Karen Riley, the sister, was played by Caitlin Wax, and it was said that it's pronounced Wax in her IMDb because it's spelled W-A-C-H-S. Oh. It's Wax. Um, She has 32 credits. She's known for My Dog Skip, um, Profiler, which is 41 episodes of that, Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, Shiloh 2, and she's also... Wait... Yes. She's been in two different Airbud movies. I saw she was in one of the Airbud movies. I loved that. No, no. Two of them. I know. I only saw one. <laughs> I kind of loved that. I don't know. She had very Mary Kate and Ashley vibes to me. Oh, man. Didn't she? Yes. Uh, her first appearance was in a Santana or is it Santana or Santana? I don't actually know. Uh, in a music video, and her second was for an episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She's in Fresh Prince? Yeah, for one episode. No way. <laughs> her last credit was in 2014 for The Hungover Games, and uh, her Instagram says she's former child actress, current human being. Cute. I think um, she works as a production assistant, so she's still in filmmaking, but not as an actress anymore and she's done some producing for music videos and for commercials all right 
The brother, Brian Riley, was played by Jacob Smith. Uh, he has 22 credits, and he's most, he's definitely most known for Cheaper by the Dozen, one and two. Yeah, he's one of the kids, right? He's one of the kids. Yeah, I recognized him when I saw that movie back yeah. then. <laughs> he's also in Troy and Small Soldiers. Um, his oh. last appearance was in 2006, though, and it was in Secrets of a Small Town. Uh, he graduated from a Christian Bible college. He's a Christian now. He likes lots of sports, especially skateboarding. He's a great guitarist and it looked like he had done some theater, but I couldn't find like what he works as a job. But also Jacob Smith is an incredibly common name. It was kind of hard to find. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Tough one. I know Jacob Smith. Yeah. So I did find him on Instagram. Like it was definitely him, but he had posted a bunch of stuff of him as a kid. It was really cute. <laughs> yeah. Like in movies and stuff. So, and of course I couldn't, end without doing movie mason is mickey rooney and you're right definitely the most famous person but there's been some surprising famous people in these debbie reynolds don Knotts, yeah mickey rooney that's probably our top three that's not nuts, in that order though. yeah that's so nuts yeah mickey rooney has 345 credits that is literally insane yeah but what's even crazier he started in vaudeville when he was 17 months old. Well, that's pretty standard for the time. 17 were... months? No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Vaudeville was a family affair, and they would work in every age. How? I don't what, know. What would a child that age do? I don't know. Usually, you're kind of like a prop, you know? like I guess. And here comes our baby. I don't know. He was also, but... Mickey Rooney is a stage name. He was born uh, Joe Ewell Jr., yeah, yes. I, are stage names a thing anymore? I think they're, I mean, with John Krasinski, I think they're pretty much over. Yeah, whereas before it was like, you're, I mean, I've, I've heard this from different books and interviews, like actors would get told your name's too Jewish, your name's too Russian, your name's too Oh, really? Whatever. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. it's too hard to pronounce well, for your average American. I went to a concert with the people that wrote This Land is Your Land. And he was said he was one of the people that told, I think that's Buck Denver. Yeah, that's a name. <laughs> From Veggie Tales. What? Right, Buck Denver? Oh my gosh. What's it? John Denver. John Denver. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> or is it from it's something Phil Vischer it's did anyway? Phil Vischer. Uh wow. John Denver. Yeah, this guy was talking about, he was like, yeah, back in the day, we used to, if it was too hard to say, we'd change the name. So his name is not really John Denver. It's something else. I don't know what it is. I buy it. Anyway, Ricky, Ricky Mooney, <laughs> Mickey Rooney, he's known for It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Classic. Never seen it. You got to see it. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Classic. Have you seen that? Nope. I didn't think so. Babes in Arms and Night at the Museum. And of course, Santa Claus is coming to town. Okay, it wasn't in the IMDb most known, but I'm sure he has many others he's very famous for. Put one foot in front of the other. That's him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's been married eight times uh, and he died on April 6 in 2014 while taking his afternoon nap. But his last credit was in Holy Hollywood in 2021. There are multiple credits like after his death. I remember he's in the Muppets. Yeah. The 2012 Muppets. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. What are some DCOM connections? This one's unique. I think this DCOM referenced another. 
the mom when she's at the premiere she's at the premiere looking for her kids because she doesn't know why they're not waiting outside on a bench and she said well i saw katie seagal and lavar burton okay katie seagal was in smart house she's um pat the the robot come to life or the computer come to life and lavar burton directed it so there's no way they just randomly paired those two names they're both very famous but they never i don't know that they ever did anything else together who knows so yeah it seems like that that was related Okay, so we have our director, Blair Tro. She directed Wish Upon a Star. That's a Disney. Female director. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's a Disney Channel premiere film. So that's what they call them before DCOMs. Oh, okay. And we haven't watched any of those. No. We should. It'd be fun. Our writer was Stu Krieger, and he wrote or did the teleplay for Xenon, Smart House, Xenon 2. Poof point, True Confessions, Gotta Kick It Up, Going to the Mat. Z3 and Cowbells. So that's like what? Nine or 10 DCOMs. Wow. He also worked on The Lamp Before Time in the 1995 version of Freaky Friday, which when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. There's a 95 version? <laughs> There's four versions of this movie? That's too many versions. Why? I didn't even know the Lindsay Lohan one or Lowen one was the third one. Wow. Little did we know. I thought it was just the second. Yeah, uh, we have Corinne Borer, who's the mom. She's Marshall's mom in Under Wraps. <gasps> oh my gosh! Yeah, so we've both seen her before. Woohoo! I'm sure She's I said great. it on that decom as well, but like, I don't know. There's something special about referencing the first decom because it has so few connections to future That's ones. That's true. Uh, we have John Novak, who played George. He's like the boyfriend. He's in the 96 Doctor Who movie. It's, um, if you're a Doctor Who fan, Anything about that movie has to be referenced. It was a failed attempt to make like a good Doctor Who piece of media for American audiences, and it was a co-made between America and England, which is really weird. It's what's I'm happening sorry. right now with Disney Plus. Why is this a decom? Thing? It's just it's just a fun fact I knew you okay. had to hear. Okay. You the audience. <laughs> Any Doctor Who fan would be like, what? He was in that? Weird. All uh, right. Lacey. Ing, it's spelled N-G. I googled it. It's pronounced Ing, but I want someone to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, she played Lisa Ing, played Racy Lacey. She's a party goer in Twitches, and she's in an episode of the famous Jet Jackson. Uh, Bill Elliott, our composer, he also composed for Alley Cat's Strike. Which wait, 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 I thought the last thing you said up there was composer. What was that? Huh? Writer. Oh, okay. No, you're good. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I think musically these were similar because there was just a lot of music. Wait, what else did he do the music for? Alley Cat Strike. Oh, okay. And yeah. I love that music. That music was Strike. good. This music was pretty good. It was yeah. a lot and it changed fast. Yeah. It'd be like, really happy song. Oh, no, Dad, we're talking about Dead Dad's sad song. <laughs> it, was just, it went all over the place, but that may not be on him. He didn't edit the music. He just composed. I guess. And then this was shot at the Shepherd Grand in Toronto, which closed in 2013. So if you live in Toronto, uh, you may have been to this theater. And I looked up a picture before. They just moved locations. Um, if you look it up, I mean, all the way till 2013, it looked exactly like it did in this movie. It's very clear. You're like, oh, that's from that's the theater from Phantom of the Megaplex. Well, something that was weird about it is like it was there was an escalator up to the movie it's because they're in a mall 
Uh huh. I wondered if that's why, but like yep. that would be unusual otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered that too. I didn't even think about it. Like, I just you made sense of it just now for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, let's hear some reviews. Oh, yeah, baby. Um, IMDb gave it a 6.3, and Rotten Tomatoes, it was a 57%, which is a splat. Um, In Name and Blood said, and this is not his whole review. I cut half of it, at least. Overall, it's probably a great movie for boffins and computer wizards who can strut around pipe in hand, theorizing on the inverted characters and social themes that are carefully woven with, within the fabric of the film and gloating at how they managed to guess the identity of the Phantom. But the rest of us should steer clear. Just another one of those too deep for their own good. Mickey Rooney movies. I love the guy, but he should have given up after Coyote Ugly. Was this a joke review? I have no idea. It feels like a joke. <laughs> it was just, That's a really funny review. I really like how he wrote it. That's why I when was said it, it written. Oh, I don't I need to start putting that. I put it on some of them, but not that one. Because if it was written a long time ago, I could see it as like some old man who was an early adopter of the internet being like, Oh, I just have to review this new Ricky Mickey no, Rooney movie. This feels like something I would have written. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like, it definitely does. <laughs> I don't know that it was an old man. Jay Coley, and this one is in 2001. I did write this one down. I usually write it down if it's near the time of the movie, you know, but I, I should, I'll try to do better and write them That's all down. Right. <laughs> uh, don't expect this film to be a major contribution to the art of film. Just sit back and enjoy the silliness. Why bother to do that? Because along the way, you get to see Mickey Rooney turn his so's ear supporting role into a silk purse. <laughs> That is the perfect review for this movie. Yes. That perfectly sums up the whole movie. They talk about his, you know, wonderful monologue and that he brings the character to life. Um, his present makes an otherwise highly forgettable Disney product worth a look. Yep. Anonymous. You know what? I like this as a child, but it's just extremely stupid. <laughs> Wow. And last one, a real critic, Felix Vasquez Jr. from Cinema Craze says, an unusual but entertaining decom that really does have its heart in the right place. It's actually kind of nice. Yeah. Like, there's nothing to really hate about this movie. And I love that that critic didn't make any really stupid puns that I hated. Yeah. I appreciate that, Felix. (laughs) This is just kind of a cute movie that, like, could have been a little better. Yeah. With a little trimming of the fat. <laughs> I agree. It's cute. It's good. The actors are good. The kids are cute. The plot is entertaining. The jokes are kind of funny. Mickey Rooney's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, what do you rate it? Well, let's pull up With our all that. wall of ratings. <laughs> I know it's getting to be a lot, yeah, guys. 23 DCOMs, guys. Oh, my goodness. Look at us go. All right. Ah, Mom's going to... I don't know. Did you like this better than Mom's Got a Day with an Empire? I don't think I did, no. I but didn't. I definitely liked I it better than The Color of Friendship. I need to lower that one. <sighs> Color of Friendship's definitely better than this to me. Um, Gosh, this is going to be lower for me. It's going to be like 6.5. I don't know. I like Under Wraps just as much. Six. I'm going to lower uh, Color of Friendship down to a 6 because I just don't like it. <laughs> Wow. Lowered. Make right. it happen. 
This is getting harder and harder because a lot of them are landing around a six for me. And that's fine. And so it's, but I'm trying to be like, okay, did I like this one more than Halloween Town? Which I only gave it a six, which now I'm like, man. I've wondered about that Halloween Town six for a long time. <laughs> I thought that was a, I was surprised then and I'm surprised now. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right, maybe I'll have to think about this, but I'm going to go ahead and, I think I liked it less than Genius, and I think I liked it about the same as Smart House, really. So, 6.5. No, I'm going to give it a 6.6, so it's a little higher than Smart House, but barely. (laughs) I just knocked mine up to 6.4 because I was like, Ready to Run is a 6. Eh, this needs to be better than Ready to Run. (laughs) Mr. Machado! Yeah, I gave that a four, so <laughs> you know how I feel about that one. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Uh, Shannon, eh, don't watch this one. It's not that good. But Shannon, you have to watch the next one, which is the ultimate Christmas present. Krista, what is it about? Ooh, I think that the ultimate Christmas present is just a scampy little puppy who's always getting into mischief and causing problems for everyone. Completely wrong. <laughs> completely wrong. Not only are you completely wrong, it also has nothing to do with Jesus because this seems like a, a Christian movie title. The ultimate Christmas present you know, is Jesus Christ our Lord. <laughs> you know what I mean? I never once considered that. So I guess it didn't to I me. mean, of course you didn't because it's a decom. Yeah, okay, true. <laughs> but just, you're right. It's, if you read the title without that context, though. Okay, so no scampy puppies, huh? No, but I will say... Is it a baby? It's the first appearance of a pretty big Disney Channel star. And all the things she did Disney Channel-wise, this was first. And she did a lot. She's going to come up for a long time after this. But is it a baby? No, she's probably... No, the present. Oh, no. it's. Is it a computer? Is it a dad? You know, (laughs) technically, no, it's... eh, You could kind of say computer, kind of not. You'll you'll know what? what I mean. You'll know what I mean. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean that might be a stretch. All right guys, well, we'll see you next time for the ultimate Christmas present. See you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to Decom Deep Dive. Be sure to check out the movie we talked about on Disney Plus or on YouTube or on Amazon. A lot of them are available for rental there. And be sure to follow us on social media where every single week Krista edits our faces onto every Decom poster. It's hilarious. Thanks for listening. 